Hello, hello. My name is April Malone with Yes, I Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today, I have Krista Morris with me from here in Arizona. Krista, come on in. Um, let us know what you do and uh, how long you've been doing it. Thanks for having me. I'm a professional resume writer, and I've been doing this for about 14 years from home. Um, it is the best job in the entire universe. I get to see and help people make their career dreams a reality and help them move and realize what they really want to do in life and how they should actually be spending their time. Because I really think that we should all love what we do every day long. You've been helping write, you've been helping write resumes for 14 years. Yes. Yes. I've been working for myself for 14 years. I've been writing resumes for probably close to 21 or 22. Really? Now I know that from our conversation before that your husband is also in this business with you. How do you guys work this out between the two of you? We have separate offices. (laughs) On separate floors, <laughs> and we text a lot, and we email a lot. Um, it really works best when um, there's a little bit of space. So we do definitely do not share a home office. Yes, we both work from home, um, but our jobs are very different. So we each have different responsibilities with this company, the small business that we have together. He does recruiting, so his role is working with small businesses big businesses, any businesses really, and finding them the very best talent that um, is sometimes really hard to find, especially with tech positions and healthcare positions and positions that require really specialized uh, qualifications. Um, Mm -hmm. Or small businesses that can't afford HR often turn to us because they can't afford a recruiter. So they outsource that. It's Mm -hmm. cheaper than paying benefits to Mm -hmm. a person all year long, especially when you're talking about a really, really critical role for, for instance, if it's like a director of operations for a service company, you can't really go without that role. And that guy is going to hire all the people. So Mm. it's important to put the right person in the right job. That's what he does all day long. Um, I do the resumes. So I start with the clients and as soon as I'm done making them the best possible them that they can be on paper, digitally, of course, because who uses paper? Uh, I send them to dear hubby who does the recruiting. Okay. So how often does that happen that you actually have these people come across your desk who would be the perfect fit for a company that your husband's recruiting for? It's, it's, I can't even, I don't even know that I can quantify that. It, there, um, sometimes kismet happens and the whole world is aligned to the proper way. Sometimes it isn't. Um, it, sometimes it takes two to three years. It just truly depends on the corporate clients that we have at any given time. And as soon as I'm done with the resumes, then they go into his applicant database so that when an appropriate position should open up, he has the right fit. Now we're not terribly high volume. We don't Mm -hmm. specialize in high volume recruiting. So it's, it's your director, uh, VP or, you know, C-suite and above or tech. Um, so sometimes the gap can be a few years. And I mean, I meet with one client a day and I write one resume a day. So my Mm -hmm. volume is a lot more than his. Oh, wow. So how many hours a week are you finding yourself generally working on all these tasks? 40 to 50. Really? Oh, yeah. So you really dedicate a lot of time to each client then? Yes. 
Yes. I probably spend one to two hours on the phone with each client during the, I have a pretty exhaustive interview process. That's where Mm -hmm. it all starts. Okay. Um, It may help if I explain how this all happened. Yes. Listeners are interested (laughs) in how this happened. Okay. How did this happen? (laughs) I was working with people on welfare in social services and helping them move from the system, see my air quotes, to self-sufficient work. Um, and putting politics aside most of the time, these are truly just people that are down on their luck, had an unfortunate downsizing, didn't have enough money in the bank to uh, handle a bump in their road. Um, And they just needed a little bit of help to get from where they were to back to employment. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes they're women fleeing from domestic violence. Who, who have never worked. It, there, there's really no stereotype. So I was working with those clients and helping them get into work. And in the process of that, I wrote hundreds, thousands of resumes. I became a hiring manager, three offices, 30 employees. Um, I ran jobs, two job centers. And in the process of doing all the workshops and the interview skills and the, the resumes and supervising all the people then writing the resumes for all of these folks, uh, I got pregnant with my second son. Kid number one went great. Perfect baby. <laughs> Maybe mm. a little bit duped me into having another one. Yep. And then, and then I got pregnant and I was on bed rest. I was high risk and I could not go back to work. Mm-hmm. And after, and I, and I went on bed rest when I was four months pregnant. Oh, okay? that's a long time. Oh, it was forever. It was, it was easily the worst period of my life. Um, I had an active three-year-old. And I was on bed rest and feeling miserable. Truth be told, a little bit cuckoo at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, And after five months, four months, because he came out five weeks early, he was premature. Okay. um, I could not go back to work. Mm -hmm. Um, When Bob, have you seen the movie Office Space? Oh, we own it. Of course. (laughs) Okay. Picture the HR guy from Office Space. Yeah. And he calls me, his name is Bob. And he even had the glasses, you know, the, no <laughs> the glasses and he calls me and he, and the baby, he's my second son. He's four weeks old. Okay. Five weeks premature. So technically he wasn't even born yet. His adjusted Dude, yeah. age, mm-hmm. he was maybe four pounds, maybe. Aww. And he was, if he was awake, he was crying. He, he was a screamer. He never stopped. And Bob calls me into his office and he says, Krista, I have the best news for you. You will never believe what I've been able to do. And I'm exhausted. Kid is crying, crying 24 seven. And he says, I've got you your job back. And I think, wait, back? Did I lose my job? Apparently I lost my job and nobody told me. Oh my goodness. And he says to me, he can offer me a position at $7,000 less than I was making before. Okay. I told Bob where he could put his job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, unemployed, screaming baby, three-year-old running around like mad, uh, exhausted. I realized I had this marketable skill that I could then charge money for in the middle of the night. I could do it on my own hours, on my own time, at my own pace, define everything myself and not ever 
have Bob in my life again. Um, and here we are today. 14 years later. And 14 years later. How long did it take you to go from that phone call to, I mean, obviously you had little tiny ones in your mm-hmm. home and I know what it's like to have a three-year-old running around. That's probably, that probably didn't have a very, um, how did your bed rest go? <laughs> well, <not> well, <laughs> yeah. Um, I can just imagine. So how long did it take before you found yourself? Did you kind of like slowly build a clientele? It was slow um, because my capacity at that point was pretty limited. I was, yeah. I was breastfeeding and um, my, my, the baby, he's now 14 mm-hmm. was an ever loving nightmare. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was medically complex. Mm-hmm. Even if Bob hadn't gifted me with this opportunity, yeah. I couldn't have gone back to work anyway, frankly. Um, okay. At one point when he was six months old, I was feeding him by medicine dropper, mm-hmm. milliliter by milliliter. That so it's exhausting. It was exhausting. So this happened gradually. When mm-hmm. he was around seven or eight months old, I, I had this dream. Um, have you seen Harry Potter? Yes. You know, the one where they're in that big cavern with Dumbledore and Harry Potter in the boat and they're going to get the Horcrux. And I'm in the middle of this lake and I'm on the dock and I can see my little kid, my baby flailing in the water. He's drowning. Hmm. So I dive in, I swim as fast as I can, but it is so slow. Like you can see yourself. I, I was, I was swimming and I was going nowhere. And then all of a sudden I realized that the water was only up to my knees and I stood up and I woke up that next morning when he was seven or eight months old, knowing that this is what I was going to do. Wow. So that challenging time, the most challenging period of your life. Easily. It's like one of those, it's like the Phoenix that was born out of the ashes kinds of things. Yeah, it was. And I, I, the dream, I woke up that next morning realizing I had a skill that I could monetize on my own terms and work for myself Mm -hmm. and it grew over time so that now I am absolutely 40 to 50 hours a week doing this Mm -hmm. um I make my own hours Bob is nowhere in my life there is no HR guy no TPS reports um and (laughs) (laughs) I, I I I get to do this job the way I want to do it Versus the way anybody else is telling me I should. So it sounds like you've gone through the transition of not only working probably in an office setting to working from home, but also working for a company to working for yourself. Yes. Yes. That's Can you right. talk a little bit about that transition time? Like, what did you have to do to get, like, for, for our people who are listening, who are like, I want to do this. <laughs> what did it take to get from, you know, A to B? To get from A to B took ingenuity and the ability to simply, this is totally counterintuitive, but not listen to anybody else, anybody else's voice, truly. Okay. Um, when other people told me I needed to do my job only over the phone, I started doing it in person. Mm. So I, I, 
did absolutely everything that my gut told me to do and not what everybody said I should do. And that's probably the most important thing that I've learned in this whole process is that my gut has led me to make some decent business decisions. Wow. So your gut has been right. It has been right. Yes. <laughs> Thankfully. Thank At what point did your husband come into the picture on this particular project, this, this job that you have now? 2014. Um, kid number two, still kind of challenging. Mm -hmm. um, he was like seven at the time. He was seven at the time, still medically complex. Okay. He is still medically complex. Um, so that is, that is, and remains a challenging part of my life. And uh, it, it's also to deviate from your question for a second, it, this job gives me the ability to work from home, be in your school and be able to drop things to pick them up if I need to. Yes. I can understand that. So that's been important. But my husband joined the company in 2014. He was working as a recruiter for an agency that was going belly up. Okay. They had no contracts coming in. And again, it wasn't really a prophetic dream this time, but I woke up one morning and I said, why on earth are you wasting your time with this guy? The business is clearly going under. They've had mm -hmm. no new clients for three months. Let's do this together. And was I've he got receptive? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the biggest hurdle was healthcare, frankly, mm -hmm. yeah. and um, Obamacare made that possible. So we didn't have to rely on corporate healthcare okay. because the marketplace opened and um, crazy unaffordable the first two years, but it's much better this year. And it's, it's made all the difference actually. So yeah. he was incredibly receptive. The timing was right with ACA and I already had a database full of applicants and candidates. I mean, wow. I, to like feed the, to him. Yeah. To feed, to feed to him. Yeah. So do your clients like, know that he is recruiting? Like, is that something that you let them know? Or is that like an extra bonus part of the package that they pay for? Oh, no, no, no. The people, the clients that pay for the recruiting are the companies. So my resume clients don't pay a thing for recruiting. Okay. As soon, and as soon as I'm done with the resumes, I send them on to dear hubby Joshua and he does his thing. His so I was telling you this ahead of our actually pushing the recording button um, that I just recently revamped my resume. So I'm like, hmm, <laughs> my wheels are turning. That would be nice to get in the hands of a recruiter. Um, I really enjoy hosting this podcast and some of the help that I've done for people, um, but it's still definitely a growing thing and on the side, and it would be nice to get back into some full-time employment for, for a variety of reasons. So um, I've definitely enjoyed setting my own schedule, but I, um, I think that there are more and more companies out there right now that are offering um, more flexibility in the workday. And, um, you know, some of the benefits are, you know, things such as um, I, I actually know several people that now work for companies that uh, have a more open PTO policy. So like, you mm -hmm. know, you might have a set amount for the first year or something like that within reason. And then, you know, after that, it's, you know, at your discretion and as long as it's within reason. Um, yeah. And so I, I could see myself fitting better into something like that than that hardcore, like you have to pass through on the vacation calendar, the vacation that you've already earned <laughs> and, um, you know, 
if you are the new hire, then you're not likely to get the vacation that you want. Um, I really like that more companies are prioritizing employee satisfaction in terms of like things like time away and, and encouraging that. So I'm like, eh, maybe, maybe I'm ready to reenter that, but I don't know. I think you have to do your homework really well because that's not the case with every company that you're going to encounter. Yeah. Um, I don't think that that trend of work-life balance is fully entrenched yet in yeah. the U.S. In the European nations, um, maybe more so. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. I, mean, I, I do see some companies doing that, but it's mostly going to be startups and on the West coast. Yeah. Um, the rest of us are generally 10 to 15 years behind where yep. they're at. Yeah. Or the companies that are based out of another country or the companies based out of another country. Yes. That is right. So <laughs> keep that in mind. If you're ever helping me look for a job, no, I'm kidding. Uh, keep going. Talk about um, how you guys are balancing your household responsibilities. Now you've got family responsibilities, household responsibilities, and two offices all in the same building. Well, um, we schedule everything. It's pretty regimented. Um, the joys of home ownership certainly complicate working from home. Um, we're in the middle of having a tree crisis. Oh, the trees in our backyard are dying mm -hmm. and they're big, beautiful trees. And it would crush me if the trees died, we need a new irrigation system. So we have to deal with putting in new irrigation, but until that happens, we have to water the stupid trees for probably an hour and a half, 30 minutes, this one, 30 minutes, this one, 20 minutes, this one. Um, so frankly, we're scheduling, we have to schedule the things like home maintenance, um, we schedule around my client calls, his client calls. It's mm -hmm. just a very regimented thing. And we have a shared calendar so okay. that I know when I'm free and I know when he's free and I know what he generally does. And I know what I generally do responsibilities in the home wise. Okay. So is that something that you've always been good at? Like between the two of you, even before we started working from home together? Um, Gosh, it's been so long. I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know that I remember. <laughs> um, probably. It's probably something that we've always done, but shared calendars and technical, technological innovations have really made a difference mm -hmm. for, for how we manage our business also. Um, and, and making the whole work from home and running the, the nuts and bolts of running a small business more uh, simple. Shared calendars, Calendly, you know, online invoicing, client portal, um, online job applications, you know, so the whole, it, the, the way technology has advanced since we started this has really made a big difference in our ability to actually run our business. I'm assuming it's had a lot of transforma transformations over the years as well. Um, well, yes, certainly, especially when, when we started recruiting. Um, I mean, yes, it, it's, it's gone through a number of transformations. Um, not, nothing crazy, really. I mean, I started with, you know, a handwritten questionnaire that clients filled out with me and now I email it and 
tried using Google Forms for a while, but the thing isn't, it doesn't expand enough. Um, I mean, so we just, we try different things and mm -hmm. we see what works best for how we want to ingest information. Now, you mentioned at the beginning that people told you uh, to do things on phone and you decided to do things in person. Are you finding that you have broadened outside of your, so we're all in the Phoenix metro area. Are you in the same city as me, Gilbert? Yeah, I'm in mean Gilbert. Um, have you found that you now have a more international clientele or U.S.? Um, I have or stopped local? taking international clients. Uh, so I do have clients throughout, I, I am U.S.-based, um, only U.S.-based, but I do have clients from around the country. Um, some of those find me from various top 10 lists I'm on. Some of them find me from referrals. A lot of my business is referrals. And the ones that find me online uh, are often local searches. I do really well on Yelp. Really? Okay. So I met you, I think, through a local, like our city group. And someone had posted a question about, you know, just how do some people make it work from home? And I, I posted, well, or what kind of work do you do from home? Because they were expand. They were, they, do you remember the question that they posted? It was something about what she wanted. Yes. She wanted, she, I think she's a single mother and she needs to work from home to take care of her family. Yes. yes. And so a bunch of us just kind of said, this is what we do from home. And I mentioned, mm -hmm. I have this podcast and, and by the way, if anyone is interested in, in being on it, let me know. And so um, I was happy to see that you reached out to me. Uh, so I might have a few uh, more people from Gilbert than usual. <laughs> um, I often have had people, you know, from all around the world now. Um, and it's kind of fun to, to talk with people who actually like know what it's like <laughs> to live in Arizona. We're in the, the middle of the, the heat. Um, oh, and when we meet, today. When we say heat, we mean heat. Yeah. Uh, yes, it's do. been a little bit more humid, I think. When it came back from Arizona, when I came back from my long journey last week, I went up to um, to visit by my family in Iowa. It's like a twenty three hour drive. Um, I came back and it had just rained. <laughs> it almost rained. Did it not? Yes. Well, we're in South Gilbert near the mountains, so okay. I think we're under a bubble. There's like a dome over South Gilbert. Um, so in my neighborhood, it almost rained. Oh no. We're Almost. in the middle of a pretty severe drought, so any rain we can get is good. I was glad to hear that it did rain, at least where we live, because I didn't know how that would work out with people setting off fireworks. Yes. Yeah. No fires, I don't think, that I know of. Good. We, uh, the first year that we lived here, we went up to see uh, fireworks in Scottsdale, and there was a fire, and everyone had to evacuate after about five minutes, and the only way out was, like, past the flames like fire trucks flames and like one way out with all the cars trying to get out it was a rude awakening oh that's <laughs> welcome <horrible>. to arizona <laughs> welcome How to we arizona yes indeed yep. yeah <laughs> well let's bring it back so you're watering the trees are there any things that you do uh, to help outsource do you outsource anything to um, offload some of your burden as far as either house things or work things um i mean my husband does most of the house things um, because his schedule is often more flexible than mine, just because of the way his volume, it, it, the ebb and flow is, it's a different pace. Um, as far as my role, I've hired a few contractors over the years, um, tried out different models. What works best for me is, um, I do have one person, 1099, 1099 employee that works for me who does resume writing. 
um, what, what I've come to realize about my industry, there's two kinds of resume writers. Can we talk about that for a second? Go for it. Okay. So there's two kinds of writers. There's the ones that are writers, which they are simply just that writers. And, and then there's the other kind that are genuinely interested in the people that they work with. Because my background is in social services, that's where I come from. Yeah. Um, that is why I spend one to two hours on the phone with every client. That is why my resumes are as good as they are because I'm generally able to get a deeper level of information from my clients. Things that they didn't know they did well, um, I'm able to put them at ease when they talk to me in a way that most writers simply aren't trained to do, I think. So over the years, as I've worked on expanding, I've tried different kinds of people to work with me and for me as resume writers. The ones that work the best are ones from social services who know how to talk to people. Totally wow. non-standard for my industry, by the way. Um, hmm. the, the writers are simply that, they're writers. And what I do is a lot more strategy because if we don't really know, the goal is to communicate your value on a piece of paper, right? And yeah. make sure that the information on the paper is compelling. To do that, we have to know what's a value. And what I found is that most people are unable to determine where their own value lies. They don't really know what they've done. I was talking to a CEO and it's crazy because this is a CEO, right? Um, she's run multiple companies. And for one of the companies that she ran, she never even considered that when she implemented this new financial system, it not only accelerated her accounts payable, but it accelerated the pace at which she made money. So she was able to deliver profits approximately 25% faster than her predecessor. She never thought of it that way. She just knew that she sped it up. Hmm. So I'm generally able to get a deeper quality of information because of where I come from and my background as a case manager and case manager supervisor in social services and working with people. So when you ask about expansion, so I've tried various kinds of different people to work with me. Um, the ones that do this job the best, the way I do this job, the way I want my company represented, and I'm never going to compromise in how I want my name out there is people that come from a similar background. Um, and, and most often in social services, they, people don't start out that way. So the, the person I have working with me now, she used to be an RN. So she's excellent at healthcare resumes. Mm -hmm. uh, she's currently going to school to become a paralegal. So she also writes legal resumes. Um, so background This is, is your 1099? Mm-hmm. So that's an independent contractor. She's an right? independent contractor. Okay. And then keep and, going. Well, so one of the models that folks in my industry use is a lot of the resume companies will have the client fill out a questionnaire and then send it to a writer to create a resume from. 
that method, that model relies on the client to self-report all their accomplishments. And they'd also again, have to be it, able to word everything. Well, people have to figure out what they've done. And, and frankly, it's just incredibly hard to know where your own value lies. You're very, you're close to the whole thing. You can't be impartial. I can be completely clinical and impartial and make decisions about what stays and what goes and what to emphasize and what to cut. Mm -hmm. It's a brutal process and it's a lot easier for me because I can be completely clinical and unemotional about the whole thing. Um, And it takes that unemotional third party to know what's really of value, I think. It's much easier. It sounds as though with your background in social services that you just have a lot of heart for people. Like you care, you, you have, you have a good listening ear probably where the writers are maybe more like thinking the in the more marketing, you know, ideas rather than like conveying who this person really is. Or they get lost in the grammar. Okay. Grammar is important. There needs to, I mean, there, there shouldn't be mistakes in a resume, yeah. but it's a marketing document. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about marketing, you have to know where the value is. Mm-hmm. And the value is f- going to lie in the person. Do you find that a lot of people who come from that social services background also have the grammar and English skills that you need to have a really precise? Yeah. yeah. So how do you, how do you help marry those two together? Um, I, I, I think I've proven to myself over the years that I can teach anybody how to write what I can't do is teach you how to like people and talk to people. Yeah. I, I can't do that. Either you like people or you don't. You want to interview them on a podcast or you don't. You're interested <laughs> in what they say or you're not. I, it's not something that I don't think you can teach. I don't think you can teach the, the desire to figure out what makes people tick. I mean, that's why you do what you do or else you wouldn't go through the trouble of having a big microphone and a podcast and, you know, somebody to edit and, and yeah, I love people. (laughs) You love people, right? Yeah. Same thing. I think I can teach. Yes. I think the hard part for me, I just revamped my resume and I had, um, when I worked for Mayo Clinic in the past, uh, they had a format that you had to follow. It had to be like a certain font and a certain size and it had to all be left aligned and there were no fancy anythings. I don't even know if they allowed bullets. They may be allowed bullet points. I'm not sure. I'd have to look at one of my old resumes from when I worked for them. Uh, But it was very like plain, very plain. You couldn't hide behind, you know, like fancy formatting. And, um, you know, over the years, I've I've expanded it a little bit. I had it at two pages at one point, and then just recently, I culled it down to one page. Uh, but my font is smaller, <laughs> and I used a little bit more formatting. You know, because um, I figured now nowadays people are viewing everything on um, like a PDF. You know, you can zoom in and zoom out if you need to. You know, you can resize it for your computer. Um, I, I <laughs> I'm kind of curious what you would say about mine. But actually, where I was struggling was with um a cover letter, I felt like I needed to fit in a few extra things into my cover letter. And I know from you that you don't focus on cover letters. Can you talk about that? Three out of four times the cover letter is tossed at least 75% of the time. Oh, Um, that makes me sad. I'm a writer. I read every single cover letter I do when I'm doing recruiting. My husband, the professional recruiter reads cover letters exactly 0% of the time. He throws away literally every single one. 
No, he does not me... even open it, download it, read it, give it any attention whatsoever. Um, so my advice on cover letters is submit it if the job says it requires it. Okay. Otherwise, it doesn't. It's a waste of time and interesting memory and space hmm. on your. Well, the application that I filled out the other day had a space for both and it didn't say required or not required. And I guess me being the wordy person that I am, I just wanted to put that personal touch in. Mm, It's not, it was not required, Mm -mm. but I also was probably not read. I was also a little embarrassed about it because I didn't, you know, you hear a lot of different advice. Like, you know, you want to stand out, you want to say things that will, you know, catch someone's attention, but then you don't know if that's going to be the style of the person who's reading it. And so I had other people review my resume with me. I have a friend who um, has very wonderful English. And then I also submitted it to a stranger who is a hiring manager uh, who looked it over and got lots of feedback. It took me two or three days to revamp the whole thing. Um, And now I'm still it's a lot of work. I almost was afraid to send it to anyone else because I'm like, whatever they say, is just going to make more work. <laughs> It'll take me it another will. two days to get it just right. Yeah. It, it so will. Yes. The cover letter thing is, is still kind of, I think if I were a hiring manager, I would be all over every single cover letter because I really want to get to know the person. And I think that's where they could really shine. But it sounds like you must have a way of making people shine through a resume. Yeah, that's the goal. I mean, when you look at an article online, Tell me, how often do you get to the bottom? I do, though, because I'm that person. I usually do. Not every time. What percentage of the time? Out of every 10 articles, how often do you read the whole thing? But I don't think that I'm normal. I probably do read them all the way down. Okay. If I, I, if I started, three. If I started, I probably will finish it most of the time. So I, I probably get to the bottom on two out of 10. Okay. And I think my attention span is pretty representative of where we are as a country. So Mm -hmm. if I'm not going to get to the bottom of an article, the hiring manager is not going to open your cover letter. Yeah. Everything needs to be soundbite short because that is the reality of the world we live in. If, If I have to click read more on LinkedIn to see more, I probably won't. That's a deal breaker for you, huh? I probably won't. I mean, I just, I don't like scrolling. So as soon as I have to scroll, you probably lost me. And to get me to scroll, the content needs to be pretty amazing and engaging. Mm. And that's what the resume should be like. I'll give you a little space to talk about what you do. I, I, I looked around on your website a little bit and I saw that you have a few different services uh, it looks like different packages. Who do you generally represent? I think you mentioned CEOs and like director, CEO, C-suite up. That's with the recruiting. With, with the resume writing, I, I represent everybody with, I work with everybody from recent college grads to CTOs, CEOs and C-suite folks. Um, okay. it, it might be a new grad with a PR degree one minute and it could be a chief information officer the next or um, an attorney, or I've had clients all the way on up to the Joint Chiefs of Staff with the DOD. So I do write a lot of military transition resumes, oh, wow. um, federal resumes, uh, software engineers, all kinds of engineers, data analytics, data scientists, logistics, supply chain, um, directors, managers, retail. It, it just, it's, it truly varies. 
Um, Do you find that each industry has its own set of expectations or like um, a format that they prefer? Like, would you find that people in the military have one style versus people who are, I don't know, PR? Oh, you know, that's a really, that's a really kind of technical question. So when you send in a resume online, chances are it's being read by a piece of software. So the resume itself needs to be readable by the software that limits the crazy formatting that we can do. If your job search is solely going to be through networking, then it can be the fanciest thing in the world because you don't need to beat the software. Mm -hmm. I was told, I was told that because I had um, a referral link that mine should be read. Company by company. It's going to vary. It's going to vary. I mean, the, some of the agencies with the state of Arizona, for example, actually read all their resumes and they don't actually use the software. Okay. Um, there are some companies out there that were, use the world's oldest software and it can't even read tables or columns. And there are some companies in Silicon Valley who use the software that use the latest and greatest in AI and machine learning. So it, you truly never know what software is on the other side. The safest thing is to design for the lowest common denominator since we never ever know, which means that the beautiful fancy formats that you download from Etsy are probably not scannable. So while yes, formatting is important, if you want to beat the software, there is a limit on what we can do and what's readable. Heck, some of the older software packages can't even read PDFs, by the way. Oh, Oh dear. Um, so it depends on how you convert your PDF from Word to a PDF. It depends on the conversion and how you do it. Um, and it depends on how old the software is. And it depends on so many factors. So there's some rules of thumb about formatting. No tables, no columns. When you design a resume in columns, which right now is the trend, and they're beautiful, they're pretty, they are easy to read, very ingestible, but not readable by the software. It, the software reads across, even if you have columns. Even so, if you have a line between the columns? Because that's what I did. <laughs> it goes across the page. Oh, no. So if you get a human, then you can make columns. And that's all great because they're easy to read. Mm-hmm. If there's no human, if there's no hope for a human on the other side and you have to beat the software, then columns are definitely not the way to go. Um, we can do bold color italics, uh, fonts within reason, uh, try to stick to true type fonts, which are going to be your Calibri, uh, Cambria, those you can look up Google true type fonts. Those are the ones to use. Um, one or two pages is fine. Don't go path two. Okay. Can you talk about the difference between a resume and a CV? Uh, for I, I actually helped a doctor with his CV quite extensively, and um, my husband, when he was doing his grad school applicants um, applications and after grad school, we kind of went back back and forth between like the resume format and the CV, um, and I think you do both. I do do both. Um, the CV format is primarily used for um, physicians uh, and generally hospital physicians at that surgeons. Yeah. Um, if it's a hospital job, yeah. if it's a private practice, most of the time a resume is more appropriate, um, unless there's a slew of publications and, um, you, you have to list all the 
all the publications, talks, posters, all the presentations, yep. all that. Yep. Um, so the only time I use a CV is, is medical generally. Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My husband, he, uh, he was in, I guess, a research-based department. And so I think people started doing posters and presentations at that point, publications. Um, but now with his current job, it's not really part of his, he didn't pursue research. So he didn't really stay in that field. So I think if we, if he had to redo his, it'd probably just be a straight up resume. They're easier to communicate on, frankly, and they're not as long and they're more standard than your CVs are. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's, it's easier to read, I would say, than, than the CV. Do you find people putting things at like publications and presentations onto a resume or do you just take it off? Depends, depends on the career, depends on the role. Um, mm -hmm. It depends on whether it's relevant and it depends on whether or not it's something that will make them stand out. And if it's a publication that's online and I can put a hyperlink, then that's always a good way to go because that means it's a live link that we can put on the document. And I noticed in your website that it looks as though you, you work with people, not so much on their position, but more like how long have they been working? So like someone fresh out of high school, is it going to have the same kind of resume need as no. the CEO? No. And those, those high school kids are also fun to work with, by the way. Um, my own high school kid, I'm super proud. He, I did his resume. He's lucky that he has me, obviously. <laughs> um, he applied for three jobs. He got two interviews and one offer. Good. So, wow. so yes. you're looking I mean, more at like volunteer experience and things like mm -hmm. that. Volunteer experience, achievements in school, um, involvement, extracurriculars, community service type things, mm -hmm. service, the things that make them stand out as people. Yeah. Put and on then the college the, application. what would the next tier be? The next tier would be somebody with maybe five years of experience, five to 10 years of experience, not a manager. Um, after that would be somebody who's got 10 to 10 to 20 and is a director and above that would be VP and CEO or C-suite. What about those of us who have, you know, who have over 20 years of work experience under our belt, but never made it up past, um, the worker bee status. <laughs> I feel like with my other experience and my education, I could do a bigger leap, but it's difficult to put that on paper sometimes. It, it is. I, and I think it, it's, we just need to demonstrate the leadership you've shown in your own life to really communicate that that sort of role is suitable. Um, and I think that most hiring managers, when they read resumes, they really just kind of glance at them. So really what we're doing is we're telling them what they should think. Obviously, that needs to align with reality and who you actually are. Um, but if you are a natural leader, we need to tell them that so that then is, that's what they think. Right. Kind of 1984 George, George Orwell, a little bit. Ooh, I like that. Now, like in my situation, I, I was always employed, but I was also raised in a family during those years, and I chose not to pursue um, further leadership positions because I was, you know also raising three children in the middle of that. So to keep um, 
you know, to stay employed, to keep my benefits, to, you know, keep up in the workforce was, was good enough for me during that time. Now that my youngest is entering first grade, um, we kind of, I kind of missed out on that year of my kid going into kindergarten because the, all three kids were home with me last year. <laughs> um, but yep. now I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to be a normal worker person again. <laughs> I think I need to see a resume. Oh. <laughs> That'd be fun. I, I should pull should it up. It. I'll, I'll send it to you. Send, it, send be, it over and we can have a talk offline. Let's, um, let's tell people how they could send you their resume if they wanted you to give it a look. Um, where can people find you? My website is virtuosoresumes.com. And, and you can submit through um, the website a link and you can send me your resume online through the contact button. I have a question about the recruiting. This is maybe kind of a basic question. So your husband is working directly with organizations who are seeking uh, workers or employees yes. or contractors or whatever the, whatever they need. Does it ever work in the reverse way? Do you ever have someone say, I'm looking for a job. Can you, do you know of anywhere that's hiring that would be a good fit? That, yes and no. That's not how recruiting works. It's just not. Yeah. Because the people that pay the bills are the companies. Mm -hmm. So no. So that's not an option. You can't pay a recruiter to, <laughs> to help you find a job. Nope. The, the company pays a recruiter to find people. That's right. That's right. That's All right. Backwards. Now, if you're interested in working with recruiters, you can create relationships. And I recommend working with three or four different recruiters um, just simply to introduce yourself and Make sure that you end up in their database. It's just not necessarily a quick way to find a job. Your best bet is networking and building your own relationships. And the best time to do that is when you do not need a job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have to build your network when you don't need it so that when you do need it, it's there. Right. Very good advice. That is the most important piece of job search advice I can give. Okay. Now, if anyone out there is listening to this and they say, I think I would be really good at this job of helping people with resumes. Is there a network or a community of people who do this that you can collaborate with? Or do you feel very alone? <laughs> Did you do this, oh, this no. from the ground up? Not at all. I'm a member of the uh, Resume Writers Council of Arizona. Um, we meet monthly. We have great relationships. We do workshops for each other. The goal is to... Um, support each other and make sure that we're all using best practices and the latest in trends and really just kind of advancing the industry within Arizona. So mm -hmm. we're, we're a pretty close knit network of writers. Um, and if, if I am busy, the, the resume writers council of Arizona has all of us listed with our credentials and websites. So awesome people can go there as well. Are there also national level organizations? There are. Um, there's the National Resume Writers Association. So they also maintain a list of resume writers. They have their own certification program. Um, and then there's a different certification called the CPRW, Certified Professional Resume Writer. Um, one of those is better than the other. One of those is more like a, you pay for your certification rather than actually earn it. Um, 
you know, so you have to take those certifications with a little bit of a grain of salt. Okay. So you might be a good fit for this kind of work. If you have a love for people, if you like to listen to the story, if you can be concise um, and market them in that way, um, especially if you have a social services background. <laughs> I'm the only one that I know of. Oh, yes. uh, are there any other uh, things and good English and grammar skills, right? Yes. You have to have a good foundation in English and writing. Um, I mean, I, I do have a college degree, so I've written a lot of papers, yeah. obviously with, with, with social services and case management, there's a lot of writing and documentation. Mm -hmm. So before I started this job, I already had a foundation in grammar, um, but I'm not necessarily a grammarian. Yeah. I'm not an English teacher, like some mm -hmm. other people that I might know. Um, and that's why I belong to the RWCA so that I can keep working on stuff like that. My biggest strength is my ability to get information out of the people. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it looked as though you also have a discovery call, um, as an option on your website, how far out are you booked usually? Is it the sort of thing that if you can't get in quickly when someone's looking for a job that you would refer them to another? Yes, yes, yes. So right now I'm generally booked out one to two weeks and my turnaround right now is about 15 business days, give or take. Okay. Um, if that doesn't work for the person that I'm talking to, the discovery call usually can happen within 24 hours of somebody reaching out. Um, but if my timeline won't work, I do have a network of people that I refer to, uh, my association members. Both awesome. I am, I am so glad we talked. One more time, your website? Virtuosoresumes.com. V-I-R-T-U-O-S-O. -O, resumes with an S at the end, dot com. Okay. Thank you for that. So that's the best way to read out, reach out to you, not LinkedIn, just through the website, right? Or LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, my company LinkedIn page is Virtuoso Resumes on LinkedIn. So you can find me there. You can find me on Yelp. Um, I answer any of those different messages. I Excellent. All. all right. Well, this has been April Malone with Krista Morris. Thank you so much, Krista, for coming today. Thank you for having me. All right. We'll see you next time. <laughs>